with great displeasure, as he was wanting to do. Now, Guillermo del Toro is one of the preeminent fantasist filmmakers of the age. He uh, first made a film called Kronos in 1993. Um, but the first one that really got attention was uh, The Devil's Backbone in 2001, a, a surreal fantasy horror film. And uh, from then on, he, he actually made a bigger splash for himself with Hellboy and Hellboy 2, which were really good and very sort of dramatic and interesting to look at and great mythology and all of this. Um, but really, he set his stall with Pan's Labyrinth in 2006, one of the great films of the last 20 years, um, unrivaled in his uh, filmography. But since then, he's, he's done a couple, like Pacific Rim, uh, which was a monster movie, um, which is a sequel coming out soon, which I'm assuming he's not involved with. He was actually caught up for many years as the director of The Hobbit. And I think he worked on that with Peter Jackson for about six years. And he would have been wonderful, cause especially considering how flat and awful those films actually ended up being. Um, and a lot of his work was used in the movies. Um, but in the end, he gave up. He said he couldn't justify you know, being away that long, multi-year periods. Um, and Peter Jackson was caught up in his, um, I think, legal stush with the movie studios over the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Um, so he never ended up, sadly, being the director. But he also uh, made Crimson Peak a couple of years ago, which was good, but um, a sort of haunted house film. But it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, but he's returned with The Shape of Water, which is leading the charge at the moment. It's sort of gone up and down between three billboards, Call Me By Your Name, and The Shape of Water, which are the three main contenders for the majority of the awards. Shape of Water's... Nominated, I think, for 13 Oscars and is leading the pack on that score. And it's a fantasy film set in the Cold War, sort of 1950s, late 50s, I would imagine, in America. And it stars Sally Hawkins, a loved British actress whose performance in Happy Go Lucky, I think, won a Can Best Actress and is a tour de force. And she's brilliant. She's a fantastic actress. And it's so good to see her getting such prominence now. Um, she stars as a cleaner uh, who is also mute and she has one friend, one major friend uh, in Octavia Spencer who's a cleaner as well and they work in a, a facility which is a home sort of like top secret semi-scientific, semi-military facility and they spend their nights cleaning um, and, and being abused and um, one night, the uh, Michael Shannon, who's a, a, a basically a, a security, in inverted commas, kind of MI6 sort of CIA operative guy, um, with a very intemperate disposition, he turns up with this uh, creature that they've captured from the Amazon, which is a, well, human-shaped amphibian reptile thing. Uh, and during the course of the next few days... Uh, they royally mistreat this creature, trying to find out its secrets. It lives underwater, but it's also able to live on the land. The local tribes in the Amazon worship it as a god. And the military wants to know what's going on. All the while, Michael Stolberg, who turns up again, he was in Call, uh, Call Me By Your Name as well, as a scientist, but also a double agent working for the Russians. And they're all sort of weighing up what to do with this beast and the whole time, um, the mute uh, Sally Hawkins character forms a relationship, a bond with this character. And obvious, the obvious parallel there is that neither of them can speak. 
uh, and they have this sort of um, growing fondness for each other. And uh, her only other friend is uh, Richard Jenkins, who is a gay advertising executive kind of guy. And he lives in the same apartment building as Sally does, and they both sort of hang out watching movies with show tunes in and the like. And very quickly it becomes apparent that the military has um, decided to dissect this creature. And by this stage, Sally Hawkins has fallen in love. They've had this interspecies love attraction together. And uh, she decides to set off and rescue it. Um, now, what is it like? Is it a masterpiece, a flat-out masterpiece, like, this, like a lot of people are saying, and like the awards season is saying? Not quite, I'm afraid. Um, there's an awful lot to love here. Uh, Del Toro is stunning as a visual conceptual artist, and he doesn't disappoint here. Um, it's, um, it's lovely to look at, and the performance of Sally Hawkins in the lead role is better than the performance of Frances McDormand in Three Billboards. She really does deserve Best Actress. She doesn't say a word throughout the film, obviously, and neither does the, her love interest. And I thought it was kind of interesting because this parades itself almost as a family movie. But if you actually peel back the layers, there's some pretty extreme stuff. Um, the opening scene is Sally Hawkins naked masturbating in a bath. And it's not the only time either. And there's an interspecies love affair where they physically consummate their relationship. There's some reasonably gory violence as well and swearing and... Michael Shannon's character gets through a whole cavalcade of very, very nasty behaviour on his own. Um, I think I really like films that have the wonder of cinema about them. And this does have that wonder of cinema. You know, you kind of watch it in a little bit of awe. And it's obviously very influenced by the films of Jean-Pierre Genet, who, um, Delicatessen particularly, there's a sequence in Delicatessen do you know what? In The Shape of Water and Delicatessen, they've got the two best-made bathrooms on Earth. Because in both films, they turn the taps on and close the door and put towels against the door, and it fills the bathroom with water to the ceiling. And they're obviously doing it as a tribute. And the other Jean-Pierre uh, Genet film that um, it really, really is obviously paying tribute is Armelie, which sometimes, it's, you know, you can definitely see parallels between the, the sort of idealised wonder of Sally Hawkins in the way she looks at the world and the character of Armelie as well. The thing I would say, and, and Pan's Labyrinth as, as well, when you've got the little girl and her, she escapes into this fantasy world. Here it's real. But the one thing I would say, it's nowhere near as good as any of those three films. Pan's Labyrinth is head and shoulders above the shape of water. That has some, crucially, it had a very wide-ranging setup. It had the wonder and the fantasy land, but then it was grounded in these atrocities by the Nazis. And the fact that she was escaping from the atrocities by the, from the Nazis and her mum dying into the fantasy. And it worked very well as a, a sort of motivation and providing a deep weight to the story as well. This is very surface, very surface. The, thing, the number one complaint I would have with this film, which was written by Del Toro, is it feels like it should be in a collection of sci-fi short stories from the 1950s. It plays like a short story. And there is very little to the story. Um, so it 
doesn't it sort of even at two hours it's a little bit long you could write a 36 a 30 page novella and tell the entire story and the other thing you get which you can notice with short stories and i said this i think a while ago about arrival because of the constraints of the length of the story they don't spend much time investing the characters with much depth and a lot of this film is very surface you don't really get behind the characters there's not much behind what you're seeing on the screen at all and the other thing is it's it's not original at all in in most regards there's two films here that are being made one is beauty and the beast where you know human beast love affair when they and it happens in exactly the same way really and the other one is king kong where they get the beast and you know some humans end up trying to rescue it and you know there's mean scientists and people people from the military that want to do things but we have seen those films made remade over and over again there must be dozens of films that either occupy the king kong slant or they occupy the um beauty and the beast slant and there's nothing outside of those two stories that this adds it's a distillation of sort of like the main themes so um I think as well, I think the awards for the acting in this are a little bit much. I thought Richard Dinkins, who's up for Best Supporting Actor Oscar, who you would recognise in a heartbeat. He's been in so many films and TV shows. I thought he's, I thought he was a bit cloying, a bit too earnest. And also, he, uh, the, uh, the other Oscar nominee here, Octavia Spencer, I didn't think her performance was that good. I thought she kind of just tried to inhibit the, you know, the the housemaid from gone with the wind who was brilliant and who did win an oscar deservedly so but she's just kind of stereotyped like that i don't think she gives a particularly good performance i think she's been brilliant in other films but not so much here and that's kind of annoying because the one really standout character next to sally hawkins is a brilliant performance by michael shannon happily he's finally got a decent movie and not some man of steel superman style film where he's just completely wasted here he's given acres to chew and he chews them and he's a horrible man uh, and he's really good and I, I, he should have got the supporting actor nomination sally hawkins is a divinity she occupies every moment you barely leave her and uh, it's it's really well put together but it's a very slight film and it is quite a surface level film um, so I don't agree that it should win much, really. But I do think Sally Hawkins will walk... Well, Frances McDormand is the favourite to win Best Actress, but it should be Sally Hawkins. So I hope there's a bit of a push there. It definitely doesn't deserve to win Best Picture. It's definitely behind Call Me By Your Name. It's behind three billboards in that respect. Not by much. And, and it is wonderful to watch. And the music's lovely. And, you know, the... The, the, the scene on scene part of it is really well done it's just very slight and I, I wonder if he wrote it why he wrote a short story to turn into a two-hour movie and didn't like you know pad it out a lot more because there's lots of themes here that really about sex about nudity about you know what constitutes being a person and how we treat them um and the forgotten people in the margins at night cleaning up after you and you know their lives but it doesn't go deep enough into anything really it's it, it's you can kind of forget it there's some wonderful imagery which is is less unforgettable 
But if you look at films like Delicatessen and indeed Pan's Labyrinth and Armelie, there's, you know, every five minutes has got something of wonder in there. And this is fairly ordinary. So it's definitely worth watching. It definitely is. And it's a lot racier than you probably think it's going to be. Um, so I would give The Shape of Water uh, 7.5 out of 10. Um, so there you go. Uh, not much, it's, it's a surprisingly slight film. I think they could have pushed the boat and pushed a lot of what we were thinking. You know, you sort of, in your head, you sort of get that there's symbolism here. But it just is, it's fleeting all the time. And it just sort of recedes as soon as you thought about it. Um, so there you go. Shape of Water, 7.5 out of 10. And also I'll be reviewing uh, Molly's Game a little bit later on in the show. Now, The Fall were a great album band and used to come back with a different slant every time they made an album. But they were also a brilliant singles